is a Woodside Church podcast. Okay. This, this isn't just any first aid kit. This is my personal first aid kit. And I, um, got, I asked for it as my Christmas present two years ago. Yeah, I know. It was a Christmas present, and the people who gave me the money for this, when I told them I'd got a first aid kit with it, well, they weren't very happy. But this is what I wanted, because I've got a little bit of a weird quirk, because I, I, I love a first aid kit. And this first aid kit, I reckon, is probably better than your first aid kit. So we've got the normal, I've got in here, I've got the normal things you would find in a first aid kit. You know, tweezers, plasters, gauze, you know, the usual stuff. But I bet you haven't got in your first aid kit, and this came with the first aid kit, this wasn't that added, a compass. I've got a compass in my first aid kit. I don't know how to use it. Uh, so one, one way is north, and I, I can't even work out which way north is. But that's a compass. That's, my, that's one of my quirky items. Now, you, if you've got one of these, and you've had it for longer than two years, it would have been illegal. Oh, no, no, come back. That's all right, it's fine, it's saved. I have this. And you know what this is? A tourniquet. You know, World War II, amputee, save, save um, arterial bleeds. I have one of them in my first aid kit. My first aid kit is very, very... I mean, it can, it can protect me against any scenario. Minus having an AED, I've got everything. I have everything. Now, the letter that I'm going to read to you is 1 Peter today. And this guy, he, he, he effectively, this covers everything. When it comes to persecution, this little letter covers everything, from the little plaster of getting insulted all the way to the tourniquet arterial bleed of being martyred. It, it, this little letter covers everything. And Peter was writing to a group of Christians who, who had just started facing persecution. They were getting maligned, they were getting looked down upon, they were getting mocked. There were cases of people becoming martyrs and people dying for their faith. But at this point, that wasn't actually, that wasn't common. They would have heard of people that would have died, but it wasn't normal thing. It was more, more mockery at this stage. Um, but... About within about two years of this letter being written, people started dying more regularly. A guy called Nero took over the throne, and he, would, he was famous for hanging Christi- putting Christians on stakes, setting them alight along the street to light up the street. That was a couple of years after this, but Peter didn't know that, was, that guy was coming when he wrote this. So, so the, but, and also to say about Peter is also around two years later, I think under Emperor, uh, was Nero, he, history books suggest that Peter was himself crucified. So this letter about dealing with persecution has a lot of weight. He can, he, it speaks with utter integrity because he effectively faced the worst. And we know Peter faced fear. If you read the Gospels, you know Peter's the guy that denied Jesus on three occasions that he even knew him. No, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Because he was scared of what would come if he admitted it. He was scared of getting crucified. But in the beginning of Acts, something has changed in Peter. That means he can then say to the same people he was scared of the first time, there is no other name in which man can be saved. And he did die the death that he was trying to run away from a, a while before. This guy has integrity. So I'm going to read the bit of verse that I've got given today. 
and we'll go from there. This book, this little section we're going to be looking at today is actually about how you show Jesus to people that don't know Jesus when you're suffering. So I'm going to read this. Okay, it's, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, if you want to follow it. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now he starts with a very strange start to that phrase. Now who is there to harm you? Clearly there is people to harm them. This whole purpose of this letter is there are people to harm them. And Peter obviously died for it. So he's, not, he's clearly not saying nobody's going to harm you if you're a Christian. I think he's declaring the same thing that the psalmist declared when he said, In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? It sounds a strange thing to say, but all they can do is kill you. Christians, the, old, the things that we have, the inheritance we've got, can't be stolen from death. The things we've got are eternal. And all somebody who doesn't know Jesus can do is affect your mortal, your earthly, your now body. But we know, who have been Christians for a long time, we know that this is just the porch in a mansion. This is nothing. We've got an eternal future with God. Before I go into my three points, I've got, I've got to do this bit well. And I said to Dad, if I don't do this bit well, the whole, whole rest of it's wasted. And that is, the, bit in the, the beginning part says this. It says... Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy. Now, before I go into, I'm going to use three items from this box to make my points. The first thing I need to say is we need the box. We need the box. If you just have loads of items, there's no way, yeah, I know, look at this, this is incredible. There's no way I could carry all of this without the box. Impossible, it'll be dropping all over the place. The first thing to say, and Peter starts here, is honour the Christ the Lord as holy. The first thing we need to know is that you need, we need to have Jesus at the centre of our hearts. We need, we need Jesus. The three points I'm going to mention in a minute can't really be achieved unless you know Jesus. The very box that everything else comes out of is a knowledge of Jesus. It's a knowledge that he died for me. It's a knowledge that I can bow the knee. It says, honour honor the Lord Jesus. Honor, the honour term is actually reverence. It's almost a bow in the knee and saying, actually, you know, Jesus, my heart, you. It's you. It's got to come from you. It can't come from me. That's what, how he starts. The first thing we need to know in life, in general, but especially with spreading the, good, the news of Jesus is, if you don't know Jesus, how can you show him? You can't. You can't really. You can put an act on. You can do a lot of good things, but eventually some of those things will drop on the floor. You can't carry it all. The Bible is full of things, that, that, that Christian, the way Christians are to live. Lists, lists of stuff we're called to do, but they're going to drop unless we know Jesus. 
Now, please remember that's the most important thing I've got to say. There has to be, otherwise the rest of it is just futility, to be honest. Right. He goes on to say this. Always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter remembers Jesus at this point. He, rem- he looks back at the life of Jesus, his, the guy he was following, and he remembers things. He remembers the times that Pharisees invited Jesus over their, to their houses just to mock him, just to put him on the spot. And Jesus knew what they were doing, but he still went. He remembers the way that Jesus treated them with respect, with gentleness. He remembers the way he tre- Jesus treated Judas, Jesus had already prophesied that Judas was going to, was going to um, um, leave him and do what he did. He knew that. But the way Jesus... Jesus didn't say as Judas was walking that room, stop, hey guys, this guy's about to go and betray me. He's, he'd be a shame, shame on you, shame on you. He didn't do that. He just said, go and do what you came to do. And the Bible says the disciples didn't know what he was going to do. They thought he was going to go and sell, buy some stuff. They didn't know what he was doing. And then... Peter remembers the moment where Peter pulls out the sword when Jesus gets arrested and cuts his ear off. There's a bad shot. I'm assuming he went for his head. But he cut his ear off and Jesus rebuked Peter, said, that is enough. And then he picked the ear off the floor and he put the ear back on the guy that was about to kill him. Jesus' response to suffering was gentleness and respect. And Peter knew that all too well. Any of you were here on Friday night, I don't know how many people here were here when Andrew Wilson came, but the guy's got a brain like a planet. <laughs> and it is, it is, it's almost just sit there, my, my drawers on the floor, like how, how does a human think like that? But there are Christians out there like that. We've got some of our own, Kev Smith being one of ours. But we've got people who know how to... Def- oh, good grief, I'm going to literally move this in a minute. Um, we've got people who can argue the faith in a way that is so convincing that you, you can't deny it. We've got people that can give five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten reasons acutely on why the resurrection happened. We've got those people. And we're called to defend the faith, but I could never be Andrew Wilson. I'm not wired that way. And probably most of us and a lot of us in this room aren't going to be able to do that. When we're put on the spot, we might not be able to you know, list out the reasons why Jesus is there. But the people Peter's talking to aren't the ones that type of defence. He's talking to people that are put on the spot by people that are mocking them. So they don't ask this question, the reasons for the hope that's in you. Oh, where'd you get your reasons? They're asking stupidly, oh, where'd you get your reasons? How can you prove, believe that? That's the people that Peter's talking about here. Not the apologists. He's talking to the people, the normal day-to-day Christians who, who are to be witnesses and who are to live, their, live the life and be gentle and respectful in the way they respond. There are going to be times, and I've done it, when you'll lose your rag, when you're put on the spot by someone, when they mock you or they malign you or put you down a bit. There are going to be times when you lose your rag and you get it wrong. Paul, the Apostle Paul, did the same thing in Acts 23 when when the the priests got him and, and one of them strikes him in the face and Paul's response isn't gentleness and kindness. He says, God will strike you, you whitewash wall! And then, and then suddenly he realises what he's done, and then he goes, um, oh yeah, I realise you know, you're the high priest, respect. He, he, he got it wrong. And we're going to get it wrong at times. But the Christian life is to want be one 
of gentleness and respect in the way we're, when, we're spoken, when we speak to people who don't know him. My daughter Sammy, the other day, about a month ago actually, she came to me and said, Daddy, they've asked me to um, talk about why Jesus is real in class. I said, I said, I was like, okay, come on. Go on then, what you got, Sammy? What are you going to tell them? What are you going to tell them? And she says, I'm going to tell them that Jesus answers my prayers. And I thought, that's great, but that ain't going to cut it. That isn't going to cut it. We know exactly what people say. Oh, yeah, that's just luck, blah, blah, blah. So I was thinking, no, sorry, sorry, that ain't going to work. So I said, I sat her down and said, oh, here's, here's a bit of gold for you. Jesus had 12 disciples who changed their lives. 11 of those 12 disciples were murdered because they believed he was who he said he was. And the one that wasn't was boiled alive. Go, Sammy, enjoy yourself. <laughs> and then as she walked out the room, as she walked out the room, suddenly I realised something critical. Sammy, come back, come back. Be gentle, be respectful. It doesn't matter if you lose the argument. It doesn't. You can, lose the, you can win the argument and lose the person. The Bible tells us to be gentle and respectful when, we're, when we are maligned and put down. I've got to read a quote for you on this. I won't tell you who it's by yet. If truth is not undergirded by love, it makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious and the truth repulsive. One cannot communicate the love of Christ in non-loving terms. There is an Indian proverb that says, once you've cut off somebody's nose, there is no point in giving them a rose to smell. That's the Bible. That's what we're called to do. Be gentle, be respectful in the way. Even when, we're, when, they, when they mock you and just be gentle, be patient. Be loving as much as you can. But like I said, all comes from a place of knowing Jesus. You have to know Jesus for that to work. That's not a new thing. The Bible says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. This is one of the ways you do that. Moving on. Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. Conscience, oh, you know what I haven't done? A very important part. Open my box. Gentleness and respect. Let's go back to there quickly. This is alcohol wipes. I want you to see how we're going to try and remember these points. These are alcohol wipes. When you are, metaphor- hopefully meta- just metaphorically, when you are metaphorically beaten for your faith and you respond gently and you take the metaphorical punches, again, hopefully metaphorical, our response isn't to bite back. I don't know about you, but I remember times when I've gone, oh, I could have said this. That would have absolutely been a mic drop moment. I would have won the argument. The way we're meant to respond is to turn the other cheek, gentleness and respect, and the more they metaphorically punch you, their hand will begin to hurt. And this verse talks about putting shame. It's not a shame that you don't leave them in shame. The point is it makes people realise, and I realise I'm in the wrong. And the Christian's response is to wipe that bleeding fist that has been punching us. That is what, what gentleness and respect, what we, how we do that. We gently love them, we gently care for them, and we take them through a process of their healing, through realising the shame of what they're doing. So alcohol wipes, gentleness and respect. My second item, <clears throat> whistle. Yeah, I have a whistle in my first aid box. Again, I didn't add it, that was there. Let's have a look at this. Uh, it's like a toy from Crash. It doesn't sound like a good whistle at all. It's not premiership quality. 
Oh. Um, but a whistle. <clears throat> Your conscience is a bit like a whistle. It's a warning. Every human has a conscience. Christian or non-Christian, we all have consciences. When you become a Christian, God tweaks your conscience a bit. And things that didn't bother you before start to bother you and, things that, and, and vice versa. But your conscience is like a whistle that alerts you to danger. Another illustration is imagine your conscience is a bit like a bird. Imagine you're looking out your back door at the French doors and there's a sparrow on, on your fence. You, and you open that French door, the sparrow's gone. You don't get anywhere near that thing. You even, it sometimes sees me before I can get out of the house and it's gone. But the more, the more we, and we can, the more we ignore our conscience, the God-given warning system, that sparrow begins to morph into like a Trafalgar Square pigeon. You know the ones you can almost trip over because they're literally oblivious. They're walking around, they're not they're bothered by people anymore and then they don't see the snotty-nosed kids about to boot them. So you... St- the conscience, when you start, it's a bit like a sparrow, but it can morph. You will morph, and, and, and all of us do it. And the Bible, Paul even said, uh, as he said, that conscience, we're finding this quote. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. Because God gives us a conscience, but our conscience gets hardened in areas. And things that should bother us actually don't bother us. So it doesn't let you off the hook if you, you haven't got a conscience about something. It might just be you've ignored it for a while. But that's what our conscience is like. I'll put this down because this is more serious. In May 2020, there was a man called Ravi Zacharias. He died. Ravi Zacharias was, was, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was an incredible apologist. Similar to Andrew Wilson. That that level of um, intellect... He was shipped all the way around the world to defend the Christian faith. He regularly debated at Cambridge University. He regularly debated at Harvard in America. This guy was an incredible defender of the faith. When he died in 2020, very shortly after, within, within weeks, things started to come out, come out about him that weren't, weren't so great. <clears throat> and I'm going to read some of these quotes word for word. Um, one woman told the investigators that after he had arranged for the, min- to, for the ministry to provide her with financial support, he required sex from her. She called it rape. She said Zacharias made her pray to him to thank God for the opportunity they had both received, as with other victims, called, him, called her his reward for living a life of service to God. The report says... Zacharias warned the women, a fellow warned the woman, a fellow believer, that if she ever spoke out against him, she would be responsible for millions of souls lost when his reputation was damaged. It's awful. That's awful, and sadly, he's not the first story like that. How does that happen? How do you get from being Ravi Zacharias, a guy that knows the Bible a thousand times better than I know the Bible? How does that happen? I think one way it happens is he ignored his conscience for a long time to the point he convinced himself in these quotes that he was doing the right thing by covering and saying something else. You know, this is my, you're my reward, you're my reward. You're my, ignoring that, no, it's wrong. Ignoring that whistle that kept alerting him. We've got, to, we've got to listen to our consciences. Jesus can change that. There are areas of our lives that have got hard with our conscience. In my life as well, 
That's very well, I've spoken it many times. I used to have, an, as a child, I had an addiction to pornography. I've spoken about this a lot of times. But, but when I, when I list, started listening to my conscience again and with the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to wipe that out to the point where where I'm at now is I'm at an extreme that most people aren't at. I'm at an extreme where, at, where I work with the children's home. If I walk into the room and they've got a music video on, the, I don't say anything, the kids turn it off. And they say, oh, Luke's in the room, turn the music video off. Because I, I don't even want to see that. When I go to the gym and there's the stuff the guys wear at the gym, it's, oh, my good grief. And when I go to the gym, I spend more time looking at the roof and getting a neck, neck workout than anything else because the, the people wear is atrocious. So where I've got to now, and it's not where I started, I started with a porn addiction to here, is, is a work of the Holy Spirit. So you're not beyond salvation. Like all of us have messed up in areas, and the God, God can change, like re, you know, wake your conscience up again. If the devil, the devil says, if I can't get your beliefs, I'll go for your reputation. He's done that with a lot of well-known Christians over the years. And we need to we need to hold on to our reputation because actually, what a better witness to showing Jesus to non-Christians than showing an integrity of lifestyle. I wouldn't have Ravi Zacharias defend, looking after me, defending for me anymore. Because sadly, and I don't say judging it, I say sadly, his, his reputation's been completely maligned. And my third, that's my whistle. So we've got wipes, gentleness and respect. Got my whistle. Your conscience is the warning system. My third point... Or a pair of tweezers. I don't know if any of you have got children. These are not a pleasant sight for a child. Children hate tweezers. They hate tweezers. And my, my son had glass in his hand the other week. And um, I said, I'll get the tweezers. He said, no! I'd rather have the glass stay in my hand forever! They don't like tweezers. When my um, daughter Sammy was really young, she's 18 months old, she had uh, what was called a febrile, no, it wasn't a febrile convulsion, it was a complex convulsion. Um, she had a seizure that went on for 15 minutes and it only affected half of her body. So the doctors were concerned. It's, it wasn't just a normal febrile convulsion, which she's had since. It wasn't just a normal temperature-related one. There was something a bit sinister about this type of convulsion. So... So we had to go to the hospital, stay there, spend a couple of weeks at the hospital. And one of the procedures they had to do on Sammy was what's called a lumbar puncture. And anyone who's seen a lumbar puncture would know that is a, that is a brutal procedure, especially on an 18-month-year-old child. I, I, was, I wish I hadn't, but they asked me to go in with her and, and hold her in like a fetal position so she was scrunched up and hold her tight so they could get the needle I think in the fluid between the spine cords. Anyone who knows that will know what I mean. Um, I had to hold her dead still, this little 18-month-year-old baby, and I could feel her struggling trying to get out of it, and I wish she knew what I was doing, but she didn't. And they did it, and she screamed and howled, as you can imagine. And when it was finished, I um, went back out into the waiting room, and she jumped at Rachel, and she didn't want to be near me. Understandable. I wish they hadn't made me do it, but they had. Um, the bit at this end of this Bible, this verse, says this. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will. There's a few questions that come out of that. 
I'm sure you, I, I can't just scoot past that part. If that should be God's will, does God will, does God will us to suffer? Does God will for us to suffer? Where I've got to on that is, I don't think every suffering we face is God's will. Otherwise, why do we need to pray, God, your will be done? Not everything that happens is God's will. He can use everything that happens, and he does. So everything you face will be used by him, but he doesn't ordain every situation on you. But, I'm not going to fuzzy it up, there are times when our suffering is God's will. When he ordains a season of suffering. And so I guess it's a bit like that Sammy and me situation. God takes us there and he wishes we knew why he was taking us there. But we don't always. I wish Sammy knew, but she didn't. Praise God, she's grew up and, and we've got a really good relationship. But Christians have got to get to a place, and it's a difficult place, as we say, the box. Unless you know Jesus, you don't, we don't always get the answers as to why things happen. In fact, quite often we don't get the answers. But God calls us to be people of trust. In a sense, blind faith. Well, it's not really blind because he's a good shepherd and it says he walks with us through green pastures and but we've got to understand that he also takes us to the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. We don't like to say that, but he does. It's Bible, Jesus. We follow, it. we follow Jesus. And Jesus' story was he went to the cross, ordained moment by God. God took him there. It's not that he loves doing it. He doesn't love doing it. He loves what it will do. He loves what, he'll do, what it will do with you, what he can do in your character through it. John Piper says, he loves us so much that he will not spare us anything to get out of us what he hates. Suffering is, is an understated witness of our, our Christians. We've, we, grow, we are in a church that believe in supernatural. We believe that God does miracles most of us have seen miracles. Most of us have in our own life stories of miracles. But not always. And one way that as Christians we can show Jesus to those who, know, show Jesus to those who don't know him is about how we suffer when it's not great, when it is difficult, how we suffer. There's a, in the history books... As many of you know, when Christianity started, there was this incredible boom. The gospel went out to loads of nations very quickly, and it wasn't all because of miracles. In fact, history books suggest that people became Christians because they saw how the Christians suffered. In fact, I'll read this quote. Augustine, a famous thinker, said this, "'Christians suffered and died better than pagans.'" A lady called Venetha Rendell in the Gospel Coalition said this, Watching believers suffer and die well changes a world that lives to avoid suffering. There is nothing unusual about Christians who are happy in prosperity. That's natural, even expected. But joy in suffering is supernatural. The world takes notice. Like Moses in the burning bush, they step aside to see 
while we are not destroyed. When you walk with Jesus, there will be times when he'll take you to dark valleys. And there are times, those moments, we need to, when the Bible says he loves us, when the Bible says he will not forsake us, they're the times that we not, not to start asking questions of, is God, does God exist? But they're the times that we need to be clinging to God at those times of deep darkness. Peter gives us the box. Jesus, at the very centre of everything we are, honour Christ. The Holy Spirit said, the role of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, was to glorify me. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, you, we can't do this stuff without it. That's why I started with that, because these other things are just things we do. Oh, suffer well, off you go. No, you can't. You can only do it with Christ, the box. The alcohol wipes. How we respond to antagonism, to mockery, gentleness, respect, loving our enemies. The whistle, our conscience. Begin to start listening again to our conscience and ask in the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you wake up the conscience that's got hard? Those bits that are a bit pigeon-like, would you make sparrow-like again? And the tweezers. God does take us through suffering, but like the role of the tweezers is to get out what's bad, God does it to get out, get out bad, the bad that's in us to make us more rounded, more Christ-like characters. Have you been so focused, this is aimed at me as well, have you been so focused on the content of what you say to non-believers that you've missed the tone? Do you need to be right all the time? Are you quick to answer before really hearing what is actually being asked? Is it time for you to ask God to make your conscience sensitive in the right and wrong way again? Do you need to confess something you have or have not been doing? Have you been ignoring the whistle? Are you wondering how, you, how your suffering can be a witness? Do you need more help to suffer well? Are you hurting and you want answers? Holy Spirit, thank you for your beautiful word. Thank you, Jesus that you came and you suffered well for us. You went to deep darkness. Thank you, Jesus, that your conscience was never pinged, was never tweeted, because you lived a perfect life. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown us in your life, death and resurrection, your gentleness. We see how you dealt with Peter when you saw him again. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Thank you for the way you are gentle with us, even though it's not what we deserve. Lord, I pray if there's any part of this message, this verse, that resonates with someone, Lord, I pray would you do what you want to do. Lord, I pray for a room of people that know what it is to bow their knee to Jesus, like Mary at the feet of Jesus, listening intently, jaw at the floor, being blown away by what you had to say. Lord, would you do that in us? Would you give us a deep love for you? Do it, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If anything in this message has spoke to you at all, then I will, I will stand at the front. I'll stand at the front here and I'm willing to pray and talk with anyone who, who wants that. And I'm sure Dad will do the same.
Richard, sorry, Richard, Dad. <laughs> um, but that's all. Thanks all, folks. Thank you. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.